do a couple that we knew. Let's start. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me. A sinner condemned, unclean. Come and hear your voices. Sing how.
breaks the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the king of glory the king above all kings this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you lay down your life that i would be set free jesus i sing for all that you've done for me who brings our chaos who brings our chaos back into order who makes the orphan a son and daughter the king of glory the king of glory who rules the nations with truth and justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance the king of glory the king above all kings yeah this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you lay down your life that i would be set free oh jesus i sing for all that you've done for me worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy is the king who conquered the grave worthy is the lamb who was slain Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Oh, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place, that you would bear my cross, you lay down your life, that I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me.
Aren't you glad we serve an amazing and awesome God? As we worship, I wanna finish out the worship set with these next two songs, and I want your focus to just be on how great this God is that we serve, and we do serve a great and mighty God. As I was reading the 104th Psalm, you know, the writer of this Psalm is reflecting on the goodness, the greatness of God, and he begins and he ends the same way. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Let all that I am praise the Lord. O Lord, my God, how great you are. You are robed with honor and majesty. You are dressed in a robe of light. You stretch out the starry curtain of the heavens. You lay out the rafters of your home in the rain clouds. You make your clouds your chariot. You ride upon the uh, the wings of the wind. And he goes on in in the middle of this psalm to begin talking about all the work that God has done in all of creation. He created the mountains and and the the waters. It says he set the earth on its foundation, the animals and all of the people. And it says, oh Lord, what a variety of things that you have made. In wisdom, you have made them all. And then he goes on to talk about the sustaining work of God in all creation. We believe that God is the creator and the sustainer of this world that we live in. It says that he sustains the, he puts the boundaries where the seas can't get beyond the boundaries, the the springs that provide the water for the animals, the grass that grows, that feeds. He provides for all of his creation. It says they all depend on you. How many know we all depend on him? It says they all depend on him or you to give them food as they need it. And then it ends this way. May the glory of the Lord continue forever. The Lord takes pleasure in all that he has made. The earth trembles at his glance. The mountains smoke at his touch. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God to my last breath. May all my thoughts be pleasing to him for I rejoice in the Lord. And he ends it the same way. Let all that I am praise the Lord. I want you to think about that and you'll see this theme um, in these next two songs. Is Let that just be your anthem today as you recognize that he is your creator and he is your sustainer. Our God truly is a great God. Amen. Let's worship. The splendor of the King clothed in majesty let all the earth rejoice all the earth rejoice and he wraps himself in light and darkness tries to hide trembles at his voice trembles at his voice how great is our God sing with me how our God, oh, we'll see how great, how great is our God. And age to age he stands, and time is in his hands, beginning and the end. The Godhead three in one, Father, Spirit, Son, the Lion and the Lamb, 
lying in the land and how great is our God sing with me how great is our God oh we'll see how great how great is our God sing that out again and how great is our God sing with me how great is our God oh we'll see how great how great is our God it's the name above every other name sing it out you're the name above all
Howdy. How is everyone this morning? Good, good deal. So, like Pastor Shane said, I'm Lance. I am the student pastor here. And to get things started this morning, I want to answer three FAQs about myself. It's for your benefit. I'm going to answer three frequently asked questions about myself. So, number one, no, I am not a youth student. So, Appearances can be deceiving. I've gotten that before, and no, I'm older than I look. Number two, no, they aren't allowing youth to teach other youth. Once again, I've heard that before, and I'm older. I can assure you I'm at least five years older than our oldest youth student. And number three, you can probably guess by now what it pertains to. Yes, I can grow substantial facial hair. There may not be much. I may not look like Pastor David or Pastor Shane, but still... It can be there, it just may not be there this morning. So today, we are going to be in Romans chapter 6 in our Bibles, Romans 6. So as I was praying through the text and I was reflecting upon it and reading on it, there was a memory, a story that kept coming back to my mind. And this was something that happened to me last summer. It was a late summer night, and it was myself, it was my wife, my sister, and a couple strangers. And we were in this village in the dead of night. It was dark, pitch black, and there wasn't anything going on. And you're probably like, Lance, why are you calling it a village? We're not living in the 19th century anymore. You can call it a town or something like that. Well, it's probably something completely different than you're imagining. We were in this village that was designed and built to exactly resemble a third world village. So we're here, we're standing in this circle in silence, and then all of a sudden we begin to hear this noise in the distance, and it's this low drone, and this noise gets louder and louder until eventually we realize it's the roar of aircraft engines as aircraft are surrounding this village. And they begin their descent, and they land on the outskirts out of sight. The engines cut off, and it's silence once more. And I'll tell you what, the next two and a half to three minutes was probably the most anxious, nervous moments of my entire life. We didn't know what was going to happen, what was going to unfold next. And then without warning, soldiers began to pour out from behind buildings with their guns pointed right at us. And they were yelling orders and commanding us to get on the ground. And of course, what do you do? Among all of us, the only common item, the only weapon, if you will, that we had was a baby doll that my wife was cradling. So she had this baby doll in her arms. So at that point, we're like, yes, we'll listen to whatever you say. We're on our knees. Here are our hands. They're up. And we were at the mercy of these soldiers who have come to siege on the village, to come and wipe through the village. So probably there's two things going through your mind. Number one, Lance, what kind of trouble did you get into? Like, what were you doing? Where were you at? What was this situation? So that's a story for a different time. Come up to me after service, and I'll fill you in on what that was all about. But number two, and most importantly for what we're going to be discussing this morning, is how does this connect with Romans 6? Like, where are you going with this as far as this bridge of what we're going to be looking at in Scripture? And here's the connection. I don't know about you, but... Maybe there are some others in here that feel the same way, that sometimes I feel as if I'm under the power of sin, that I'm under the jurisdiction of sin, that sin can crouch at the door and attack in my life, and whenever it does, I'm at the mercy of it, that I am going to have to obey whatever it commands of me, whatever it asks of me. And 
in this passage, in Scripture, we're going to see that God has a completely different story that he's wanting to tell us this morning, that he wants to show us that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. And that is the title of this morning's message. You'll see our nice graphic. Thanks, Pastor Shane. So who in here has heard the song, Wanted, Dead, or Alive by Bon Jovi? Does anybody know about Bon Jovi? Okay, we have a few. So we put a little bit of a twist on it. I mean, I would sing it to you just to try to bring up some resemblance, but I'm not going to torture you. I can't sing very well. So we're delivered because we've been delivered from sin by God. And there's a paradox here that we are dead and alive because we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus at the same time. So we are going to read Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, and I'll go ahead and pick up in verse 1. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the, dead he, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all time, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. So before we begin, on the onset of this passage, as we prepare ourselves to go on this journey in our hearts and our minds on what God has prepared before us, we first need to look back, take a step back, and see where the question in verse 1 is rooted from. Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? So really briefly, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of Scripture, to the first couple of pages, and we're going to see Adam and Eve in the garden, that whenever they were in this paradise, yet they chose to eat the forbidden fruit and rebel against God, disobey God. And from this point forward, not only sin, disobedience, had entered into their lives, also all the generations, all the descendants of Adam and Eve, which is all of us, which is everyone. So whenever we are born, we are born into this sinful nature. We are born into this same lineage. And as we narrow our scope, we see in Romans chapters 1 through 3, we see the gangrene, cancerous effects that sin has on a person's life. But there's good news. There's a but God that's inserted into here that we see in Romans 4 and 5 
we are introduced to this big word called justification. So justification is a real fancy term that just means what God has done for us to set us free from sin through Christ. That we have been justified and that we have been made right before God. That the debt that we once had because of our sin has been covered and paid for by Christ's sacrifice. And we are made in this justification just as if I never sinned. By grace through faith, our sin, past, present, and future, has been covered. It has been forgiven through Christ and what he has done. And we see in Romans 5.20, the law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So we're taken to this place where we understand that it was our sin that nailed Christ to that cross, that it was our sin that Jesus had to go and die that horrible criminal's death. And if we take this further, we know we should hate sin for what Christ had to do to forgive us and to set us free. And we come to this tension, we come to this crossroads that if we're honest in our lives, if we look into our lives that we live, it seems like we still wrestle with sin from time to time. So we still see sin's effect, we still that it still lingers in our lives. And it can become crushing. It can just really get us worked up because we're like, is there something wrong with me that there's still sin in my life? I still see its effects. And we need to put the brakes on. We need to call a timeout before we get too deep into this thinking. We need to ask the question, what Paul means by continue in sin in verse 1. And this is oftentimes translated to practicing sin. Making a habitual lifestyle of sin and setting up our permanent residence in sin. Our attitude, our heart's attitude towards sin tells us a lot about our relationship with God and the condition of our heart. And you can have two different attitudes of your heart. Number one, are you eager to turn away from sin? Are you eager to repent and turn towards God and ask him to cleanse you, to forgive you, that if there's sin in our lives, it's like a stain on our favorite shirt, that we're eager to break out that tide pin and scrub away and get rid of that stain, that we beg God and plead for him that he would create a pure heart in us and renew a steadfast spirit. And then there's a second heart attitude that is being addressed here, and this is the heart attitude that we see that Paul is strongly rebuking in verse 2. And this second heart attitude is this. Do you revel in sin? Do you long to run back headlong into sin, into the old lifestyle that you once lived in? Are you seeking to abuse God's grace and forgiveness? That Are you seeking to treat grace as if it's a pass, to live like the devil while you're on your way to go see Jesus? And there's that temptation in all of our lives. And John Owen uses this quote very aptly, be killing sin or it will be killing you. So this second heart condition, this second heart attitude is what Paul is strongly rebuking in verse 2. That's why he says, heck no, absolutely not. By no means shall we live in that way. So already we've worked ourselves into a place where we can kind of be confused and this tension can be overwhelming that we are felt like we're being pulled in all sorts of different directions. But let us remind ourselves that there is grace for repentant hearts that we're still in weak bodies, and God understands that, and we are still in this 
broken, sin-stained world. That Romans 7 tells us that we are still flesh begotten and that we are born into this sinful nature and our bodies are well-trained in sin. They don't have to be taught to sin. That is how we are born and that is our nature. And that's because of all of these different things, sin still rears its ugly head in our lives. That look at it this way. If, uh, do we have anybody who doesn't like snakes in here? I don't like snakes at all. Okay, if there was a snake, I'm going to have a hard time killing it. I know my wife isn't going to want to kill it either. We're going to probably just move out and pack on and say, see you later. We're going to burn the house down. So just imagine there's a snake, and you cut that snake's head off. And even though that snake is dead, right, it's been decapitated, that snake can still wither and slither on the ground and have these motions and these effects just as if it was alive. And even the head, you have to be careful. I mean, you need to dig a hole and bury it because that snake can still open and close its mouth. It can still deliver a bite, although it's dead. And oftentimes, sin has that same effect, that although Christ has freed us, although death has died and sin has died, that we still see it can have these effects and still once more rear its ugly head. So we see verses two through seven as we move along that these are rich verses that hammer home the reality that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. So some of you may know him. We have Pastor Jim, a part of our church family, and he's a former pastor. And we were having a conversation earlier this week, and he told me this, that sin commanding a believer is like a medical examiner who tells a dead body to move from that table across the room to another table. It's just not going to happen. Sin doesn't have that authority. You're not going to get a dead body to move if you're truly dead to sin. And then another story, too, just this past week, Pastor Shane, Pastor David, and I were riding in a pickup from Amarillo to Canyon. That's a lot of trouble in one pickup. So as we were going along on I-25, we looked out, and there was a cemetery. And Pastor Shane, dead serious, he was in the front seat. He looked back at me and told me, Lance, did you know that people living in Canyon can't be buried in that cemetery? And I had to think about it, and it sunk in a little bit. And then I kind of became indignant. I became worked up. I was like, what do you mean? Are people, like, does Amarillo hog the cemetery? Like, are there, there's not enough plots? Like, what's going on here? And they had this smile, and they were grinning, and they were laughing. And then it was like two minutes later, I had to, like, slow myself down. I was like, okay, people living in Canyon. So then I'd finally got it. If, if you're still here and you're still trying to understand, it's okay. I was in that same place. You can turn to your neighbor. We're not going to hash that out. So these may be funny stories and these may be things that we can laugh at, but there's some truth hidden in these stories that we see for those who have been set free that you can't live in sin and in death, that we have been set free and we, are die, we have died to these things that we see Romans 10.9 says this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This means that you've been set free and if you've accepted Christ, that you are dead to the things of old, sin does not have jurisdiction over your life, that you have a new master. As believers in Christ, we are also united with them. And Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who lives but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
And now we share in that story, that we partake in Christ's story and Christ's life, and that our evil desires, our bondage to sin, and our love of sin has passed away, and it is in the rearview mirror. So I give credit to this to a pastor out of New Mexico, Pastor Nate Heidzig. So we're going to have some T-Swift theology this morning, some Taylor Swift theology. This may be the first time ever, this may be the only time ever that you actually get to hear it. So this is it right here. We are never, ever, ever getting back together with sin, that we have bad blood with sin, so now we just need to shake it off and live in a new love story with Christ. Amen? All right, awesome. Okay, let's pray and go home then. (laughs) That's all good. No, we still have verses left. (laughs) So verses 8 through 11, that we see that there's a command to get back in touch with reality, the new reality that we live in, that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ that we see 2 Corinthians 5.17 say this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So who in here are my fellow people pleasers? It's okay. You can be honest. You can admit it. I know there's probably something going to make me feel bad like I'm the only one in here. So I struggle with that. I wrestle with that from time to time. And the big thing, the big contingency as a people pleaser is this, that you haven't learned to say no. That not only is no a viable answer sometimes, sometimes it's the best answer and you have to exercise it, right? So in a similar way, we see that we can say no to sin that we're not bound by it, we don't have to obey it, that we're not completely helpless and completely awash in its strength and power, that we can say no to temptation to sin. We see 1 Corinthians 10.13 say this, No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will provide a way out so you can stand up underneath it. But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out so you can bear it. That our motivation for our no, the motivation and the driving force for saying no to sin is simple. That Christ's love compels us. He draws us into his life. He draws us into his goodness. And he's inviting us into a new life and life at its full. And amazingly, after all these things that we're drawn from him, that it's not something we have to check off the list, that we have to do the right things and this is how we are going to go and be saved. That this is something marvelous that we are invited into, that we can be heirs and sons and daughters of God. And amazingly, he transforms us by his spirit all the while. So we go into our final verses this morning, 12 through 14. And we see 12 kicks off with therefore. So what's the question that you ask whenever you see therefore? What's it there for? Awesome. Y'all are so good. So the take-home idea is simple, and I didn't have to go home and pray and just really pour over these and have to think up of something that we could walk out the doors with, that God lays it out. God gives us our take-home application. He gives it to us, and it's this. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. It's laid out, and it's simple. And I speak on my own behalf this morning. I look in my past, and I see selfishness, and it's like memories that are a rototel that goes through my mind of ways that I was selfish in my past. I see pride. I see secret habits that I'd want to just stuff in a closet, keep in the dark, that nobody would ever see them, nobody would ever know them. I've said hurtful words to my wife. I've said hurtful words to family and friends, things that I regret and wish that I could take back, but I can't. 
And a lot of these, I could say that I've been walking in freedom, that God has delivered me from them, and still others, I say that sometimes they rear its ugly head in my life. And you have to look at your own life and really be honest with yourselves and pray to God that he would reveal those things in your life. That they're all going to be different for each and every one of us. Some of them may be in common, but we only know in between us and God what those things are. And here's the good news this morning, that we don't have to let those crush us, let those memories, this sear our consciences and sit in that pain and wallow in that pity, that these things aren't our permanent address. They're not our permanent residence anymore, that we've been given a new home and we've been given a new life in Christ, that we can make the active choice today to live out like we've been set free from sin, that we can live as if we are dead to sin, that we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves, what could this look like in our church? What could this look like in our homes? What could this look like in our schools, in our communities, in our state, our country, even the world at large, if we were living these truths out, if we truly understood this truth and let it pierce our heart? And oftentimes another thing I'm guilty of is I look at others and I believe that it's unbeliever's sin and it's unrepentant hearts that are the cause and the root of so many issues. That it's so easy, I'm guilty of saying this. I'm like, man, y'all just need Jesus. Y'all need more Jesus. Man, he or she needs Jesus. And it can be something like an armchair quarterback that I'm so judgmental. And I'm in this own place, in this own space, thinking that we got figured out. We're just waiting for the others to follow suit. And the elephant in the room issue that so many of us ignore and so many of us don't want to address that maybe perhaps a bigger issue that we look at is we have believers in Christ, we have disciples of Christ that aren't living godly lives, that we have believers not living godly lives, that we see in the Bible we are called to be witnesses for Christ, we are called to be salt, we are called to be light, and we see in Romans 6 that we are called to be weapons of righteousness, not just parts of us, but all of us, everything that we are, every fiber of our being, We are called to be weapons of righteousness. And there's no shortage of opportunities to live out these godly lives, to make an impact, to make a difference. That we see that hurricanes come and hit homeland, there's people in need, and we see there's unrest in places like in Afghanistan, that there's believers that need prayer, there's real needs that need to be met. We see that there is bitter division around every corner that we turn There's so many opportunities to live out those godly lives and to let Christ's light to shine through us. Yet we're deceived thinking that we can be the agents of Christ's light, that we can be heralds of that gospel message while also being agents of darkness. That we believe we can be beacons of light that shine Christ's light and love while still living in darkness. Now this can be heavy, And this can sit, and it can be a little bit painful. But let's just remind ourselves that we are not people without hope. That we don't do this in our own strength. We don't muster up our own courage. We don't have to do the right things, and we don't have to get ourselves clean, make ourselves right, and try to turn the ship and right at everything and make things okay. That that's not in our power. That Christ has already done that for us. That that war has been won, 
and that we can trust in him, trust in that victory, and that he's given us this free gift of his spirit that will transform us, that will cleanse us, and that we just have to look forward, take a step, and receive that gift, and that it'll be God who does that work in us. Not for our own glory, that's God's glory, and that's God's doing, and that's God's work through and through. So just pray and reflect upon that this morning. If you've been walking along with Christ as a disciple, yet there's different places in your life that you feel shackled, that you've been living in darkness, that that truth hasn't taken hold or that truth has been forgotten, that you are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Man, hear that good news this morning. Let that saturate all that you are. And if you've never accepted Christ into your heart this morning, man, I would just beg you to not wait any longer, to not wait another moment that Christ is knocking on the door of your heart, that he wants to welcome you and invite you, that he longs for all to be saved, for all to come to him and have new life and have life at its full, and you just have to receive that gift. Let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you, God, and we're just humbled by all that you are, how good you are to us, Lord, and that we can just celebrate this truth, that we can just bask in this light that we are truly dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. So we are alive to you, Father. So we give you great praise for that. And we thank you that you are so mindful of us, that you love us, and that you are near to us, and that you, Lord, long to call us sons and daughters. So God, just set us free this morning from wherever we've been deceived, from whatever lies that we may have fallen to the trap of, God, that you and you alone have this truth, and you tell us who we are, God, and we belong to you. You bought us at a price. So God, just be with us and do the work that only you can do. Whatever decisions that need to be made, God, if you're working in hearts and in lives, Lord, that your spirit would take over, God, that we would surrender and allow ourselves to God, just be your sons and daughters, that we would be your light, God, and we would allow all of ourselves, every ounce of us, to be weapons of righteousness, to be used by you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for this morning. And it's in Christ's name that I pray all of these things. Amen.